Thank you, Pastor Frank. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Thanks for uh, worshiping with us. I want to direct your attention now to the book of Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jeremiah 29. And we are continuing this. It's now our fourth message on hope, looking at Old Testament prophets and their call to hope amidst a very turbulent time in the history of Israel. Last week, we talked about how Habakkuk asked for God to really correct his, his, uh, his nation, Israel. And God said, I will do that. And I'll do that with the Babylonians. And, and Habakkuk goes, Lord, they're worse than we are. Why would you correct, correct us with someone who's even more wicked than we are? And we, we learned through Habakkuk's call that, well, we're to trust God when the wicked are winning. We can trust him. Well, the prophet Jeremiah actually lived out that judgment of Israel with the Babylonians. So continuing in that message of hope, we join with Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet for about 42 years. He picks up around the midterm of, of Josiah, the king of uh, Judah, his, his reign in, in Jerusalem. Boy, Josiah was a great king. He loved the Lord. And he served him. But after Josiah was killed in battle, after uh, Pharaoh Necho invaded the land, or actually was just going to the north to help the Assyrian Empire, uh, the last four kings of Israel did, as the scriptures say, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They turned away from the Lord. They worshipped other idols. And therefore, we get down to the last king of Israel, uh, Zedekiah. And Zedekiah was um, taken away in stocks to Babylon after he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who in 586 totally destroyed the city. Jeremiah was the prophet through these last 40 years of Judah's history. You see, the Bible is about real people. It's about real places. It's about a real God. Two weeks ago, when I was in Jerusalem, I was uh, looking at this one area in Jerusalem, the south eastern side of Jerusalem called uh, the city of David. And here's a picture that I took there. This literally, many scholars believe, are the steps up to David's palace in 1000 BC. And as they uncovered this, just within the past 10 years, at the top of this area were some palace rooms and in an area now covered, uh, take a look at this next one, they found three clay imprints known as bullas. And uh, one had the name Jehukal on it and the other had Gedaliah on it. And these were kind of like royal seals that when communication from one person next said they would seal it on the document to, to authenticate it. And these two seals were found within 38 feet of each other. And one of these names, Jehukal, is mentioned in Jeremiah 37, another one, Gedaliah, was mentioned in Jeremiah 38. And, and here's what I learned on the two, two weeks that I studied in, and uh, traveled in Israel. Is the more we dig, the more the Bible's substantiated, the more the Bible's affirmed. And so uh, these, this is about real things, real people. Well, the history of Jerusalem at that time was one that they were facing the defeat with the Babylonians. They were facing a destruction. 
they were in despair. Their leadership had rebelled against God. They've rejected his word. And any one of his prophets, like Jeremiah was one, they even punished. Jeremiah was put in prison for speaking the word of the Lord to the king. He was thrown in a pit, that a cistern that was just filled with mud and was sinking in the mud. His ministry, as he was called and commissioned by God in Jeremiah chapter 1, his name literally means God hurls. We're not talking about throwing up. We're talking about God throws you into a turbulent environment. That was Jeremiah. Think about this. It wasn't the American dream to follow God. His life got worse when he said yes to the call of God. He suffered, it was persecuted, and yet the same man who was faithful and obedient to God leaves a legacy in our lives. He leaves a legacy for all of us who live in kind of an environment of exile here in our world right now, that we too can be a people of hope. His life was basically a sermon illustration. Have you ever felt like that in your life? That God is using you and using what's happening in your life to preach a greater message? Well, one of those things he had to do is God said, take a a loincloth and go and bury it. And many days later, he came and unburied it and it was all rotten. And God said, Israel used to cling to me like this loincloth, but now they've been polluted by idolatry and they're useless. Another thing he was asked to do is not take a wife in marriage and not have children. Why? Because God said that if you have a wife and if you have children, they will starve as Babylon comes and besieges Jerusalem. They will die. They will be carried off as slaves to Babylon. He didn't take a wife. He was asked to go to the potter and look at the potter and how the potter used clay. Some he used on the pot and then he took off and grabbed others. And it was his decision how to use it for the instrument he was making. And Jeremiah had to learn from that, that it's in God's sovereign plan. God can choose however he wants. He's God. We're not. He was also asked to go and purchase pottery and go outside the walls of Jerusalem and take the leaders with him there and smash the pot and say, Just as this pot has been broken, so Israel, so Jerusalem, I will break you because you have walked away. Return to me. Return to me. He was asked to actually put on a yoke with straps and to appear before Zedekiah and say, just as this is as I am look as I look like a slave, so you shall be hauled away from Jerusalem as a slave to Babylon. That's exactly what happened to Zedekiah. When Nebuchadnezzar caught him fleeing Jerusalem in 586 BC, he took Zedekiah to the, to the center of the town and he beheaded his sons and then gouged out his eyes. Folks, this is PG 13, perhaps even worse. This is Old Testament. It's Old Testament retribution. Big bullies like Nebuchadnezzar. Huge destruction. A bleak moment in Judah's history. And yet, we see Jeremiah as a prophet of hope. You know, we're really, we really learn as we read Jer- the book of Jeremiah, we really read that we're, we're called, as, as God has entrusted us with the gospel, you know the good news about God? And the good news is that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to show up at church to be saved. You don't have to have a, a level of performance to where your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You simply have to trust in the hope of Jesus Christ, the one who loved you and lived a perfect life for you 
a life that you cannot live and who died a complete and final death for your sin, one which you could never pay and rose from the dead on the third day to secure for you and us and all who believe eternal life. That's good news. That's good news. And you have been entrusted with that good news. And all those who've been trusted with good news have hope. Have hope that even on your worst day on earth here, it's not over. The story's not done. You have a hope and a future which God has planned for all those who trust in him. And Jeremiah had that hope because he trusted in a God of hope. And he accepted that call to be in God's plan. And we need to also accept that call. As we look at Jeremiah 29, those of you who know Jeremiah will know that Jeremiah 29, 11 is probably one of your favorite verses. You may have heard it. Let me read it to you. It says, uh, God says, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to, to give you a hope and a future. You know, I look at that and uh, so many of us have made that kind of a life verse. That's my verse and we kind of claim it and we think, oh, God spoke that to Jeremiah and he was affirming Jeremiah in that passage. But literally God was not talking to Jeremiah. He was saying, Jeremiah, write a letter to those who have been hauled away to Babylon and have this letter be read to them as they're in Babylon, some 700 miles away from Jerusalem. And I want to give them a message of hope. And a message of a future. I'm going to bring them back. And I want to read this letter that God gave to Jeremiah that he wrote. And let me read it to you now. It's verse 4 through 14. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with me, seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. There's three types of environments that... God kind of addresses with Jeremiah for him to be a prophet of hope with those who have been exiled. And those three environments, those three places, I just want to kind of dig a little bit deeper from this passage. One place is places where there's no hope, 
When you look around you and you see literally no hope. Another place is where you have false hope. Where something, there's an alternative to the hope of God that you've been pursuing. What should we do then? And then a place of true hope. And that's really the target where we're going today. But before we get there, let's just take a look at that first environment of no hope. You see, Israel at this time, as they were hauled away into exile, were placed in a land that was a pagan land to them. It was away from their Jerusalem, their center of worship with God. And the big question is, how long are we going to be here and what should we do in the meantime? Because it was an environment of very little hope. And God says, key word he said, is renew. Renew. You're there. You're there for a reason. I've placed you there. Now renew your lives. You know, the first thing he asked them to do is build. Build homes, live in them. Plant gardens and eat of their produce. This is something for 70 years, God was going to keep them there. And this is kind of a long term perspective. He was calling them to live. You know, the two major crops of the Mediterranean area are olives and grapes. Neither of those plants uh, happen with you going to the store, buying some burpee seeds and planting them and getting them in about four months later. This isn't lettuce we're talking about. We're talking about long-term things that take times, decades to produce. And Israel was called in a foreign land to plant, to build houses, not live in tents, build houses. You know what God was saying? I'm going to use you there. Rebuild. You know, God calls us to the place that he has us to build. We may feel exiled in our world today. You may feel exiled in Topeka. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah, when I grow up, I'm leaving Topeka because we don't see Topeka as our long-term place. Some have looked at your marriage as, wow, it's not going well. I'm exiled here. I'm going nowhere. I need an out. And God says, no, rebuild. Some of us look around us in the neighborhoods we're at. We go, oh, this neighborhood's not good. I don't, I don't know how anything good can happen here. I, I need to move out of that neighborhood and go somewhere else. And God says, no, right where you're planted, bloom, right where you're planted. Some of us look at our places of employment and go, God, I'm exiled here. Some of us look at our situation in life. God, I'm exiled in education. As soon as I graduate, then I can really live for you. Then I can reflect you in all you do. As soon as I make this amount of income, as soon as I get out of debt and God says, no, 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 I have you right where I want you. You know, it would have been so easy for them to say, but we're not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's your city. You love that place. We're in Babylon. Look at the pagan leader we have. Look at the life we have here. Nothing like it was in Jerusalem. But God says, build. Secondly, God says, multiply. So take wives for yourself. Take wives for your sons. And have children. Be fruitful And multiply. It's God's command. And it's a command of blessing that right where you're at, go long term in relationships where you're at. Don't be this person who's a stranger, who's an alien there. Live in this place. Have families. Leave a legacy. 
God calls Adam and Eve to do this after he created them. Be fruitful and multiply. He said to Noah after he saved him in the ark, he said, be fruitful and multiply. He said it to Jacob, be fruitful. And they obeyed him and became fruitful. And he calls these exiles in Babylon, be fruitful, multiply, don't decrease. I think it's even a contrast to the life of Jeremiah, who's back in Jerusalem, knowing they're about to be besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and, and would write to these exiles and say, me without kids, you're in a better position. You're right where God wants you. God told me not to have kids in Jerusalem. He says you to have kids and grow your families in Babylon. Multiply. Thirdly, he said, bless. Bless the place where you are. The word he uses is welfare. Seek the welfare in the city that God has placed them. Pray for the welfare because in its welfare will be your welfare. That word welfare, we see it in English, but in Hebrew, you know what the word is? You may know it. Shalom. It literally means peace. Not peace, brother, but peace that God would bless your life with peace, that you would have peace with him. That you would have peace with the people around you. That you would have peace within. It's a comprehensive statement of blessing. And that's what they were to do in a foreign land. Did you ever think about that's how God looks at our city? That we're to pray for blessing. So many Christians or people who say they're Christ followers just reap curses on their city instead of thinking how they can be a blessing in their city. So many of us complain about our city or our country instead of praying for our country and praying for our city. It's so easy to go negative when we look at this world around us, but God is calling us to be a blessing, to be people who bring a new picture of hope into a hopeless environment. God was calling the Israelites the Jewish people in Babylon to renew an environment that he called them to. Now think about this. This is a contrast to their whole thinking. In Psalm 137, it, it describes what they did when they crossed the rivers of Babylon, when they were led 700 miles away from Jerusalem into Babylon. It says, when we crossed those waters, we took our harps and we hung them on the willows there. And we vowed never to praise again until we went back to Jerusalem. See what they did? They gave up. They gave up. As their taunters, the Babylonians said, sing, sing songs about your God that we just defeated. Go at it. Come on, sing. They hung up the harps. We're done. It's over. We have our lives. That's all we have. And God said, in that land, I've placed you there. See, the message of Jeremiah was surrender to Babylon. Return to God, surrender to Babylon, trust my plan. And everyone in Jerusalem said, no way, God can't be in surrender. There's no way God can use Babylon. Isn't that a frequent message? Habakkuk last week, Jeremiah this week, it was the will of God for Babylon, for them to submit to Babylon. In places of no hope, we're called to renew. But then there's places of false hope. 
It's kind of worse than no hope. But that was the environment among the exiles in Babylon. You see, they had false prophets who went with them. And, and these false prophets were saying, this is not in God's plan. Now, Babylon kept them as a unit. They kept them as a group. Assyria, that took most of the tribes of Israel in 722, uh, basically scattered them all over and made sure they intermarried with other people so that their culture couldn't continue. An interesting thing about Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, he kept them together. See what God was doing? He kept the remnant going. He kept the group that he would bring back into the land. He kept things going. It was his plan. They weren't scattered. They were gathered, even in captivity. These false prophets were saying, this is short term. Don't put, don't build, don't plant, don't multiply. Just wait. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're God's people. Come on. He owes it to us. We're Jewish. He made his promises with us and it's our land. And that's the land where we're going to go back to. And God says, the word is return, return to me in places of false hope. This is my plan. 70 years. It's long term, not short term. I'm going to use the Babylonian Empire, but little did they know, really it was going to be the Persian Empire that he would use to bring them back. Return back to him. And you know what? This is a word that's used over 20 times in the book of, of uh, Jeremiah. Seven specific calls to return to me. God is calling for his people to return. And they've been, they've been uh, poisoned with false hope from the false prophet, prophets. Now, you may not think that you're listening to false prophets, but we definitely are swayed by a false hope in our world today. I even look in my own life over the, the course of, of my childhood, early adulthood, and now where I am now, how false hope, how there have been times when I've actually bought the false hope sold to me by my culture. Like I remember growing up in a wealthy family. I, I literally believed at one time, even though I was a Christian, that the more I had, the more happy I would be. And the reality is, is that's not true. You cannot buy happiness. You cannot buy, you can buy friends, but not true friendship. I used to believe that what was on the outside of me was more important than what was on the inside of me. And that's why many of us spend far more time uh, working on our face in the morning than we do working on our heart in the morning in meeting with the Lord. But you know what? We'd never confess this if we had a creed to confess. We would never say, things will make me happy. We will never confess, wow, the next relationship will be better than this one. We will never say that the externals are more important. But yet, if we look at the amount of time and the amount of energy that we're focused on these less important things, we can see very quickly how we place our hope in things that are false. And God says, return to me. Return to me. Come back to me. The call from God over and over. How do we return to him? Well, the first thing he asked them to do is turn away from the deception. Don't listen to them. And so it's important that you unplug whatever is feeding you that false hope in your life. 
And that will require you to make some decisions. To turn away from those things. It's very, in me, I, I literally will say, Lord, I've bought a lie. And I'm sorry. And I turn from that to you. And I return to you. My heart is your target. Help me to focus, be more focused on my heart today than I am about my face today. You gotta turn away from the deception that blinds us. And then we need to discern the voice of God. Jeremiah discerned the voice of God. Over and over, another very popular phrase in the book of Jeremiah is, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And what do you see? You see a simple obedience. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and say, go. And what did he do? He went. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, say. And what did he do? He said. You know, you just get this simple obedience. But he discerned the voice of God. Even in our passage today, we had over and over, thus says the Lord, declares the Lord. Jeremiah learned to discern the word of God. And so do you. And so do I. We all need to be able to discern the voice of God amidst false hope. We need to be able to go to God's word. And I've got a good friend. He's seated right over here. His name is Alan Wynn. And when I confess something that's going on in my life, Alan always goes, well, Joe, how is the word guiding you in this? Because it's so easy to go, well, what would God want you to do? And and people, that's a weird question. What would, because here's what I usually hear. It's, I, I'd like to think that God would know. It's not, I'd like to think. Some of the worst theology is based on, I'd like to think God would. Yeah, because then we make God into who we want him to be rather than allow him to be who he is. And Alan forces me to get into the word and to be biblically grounded as I live my life and to discern God's word in my life. We need to be able to do that to listen to God's word and follow it. That's our help in times of false hope. Those two environments, no hope and false hope, there's another environment that's addressed by this passage, and that's how to be faithful in places of true hope. And see, what God wants to do when we have true hope is he wants to be, he wants to restore this world with us. We're part of his plan, just as Jeremiah was part of his God's plan uh, to the exiles in Babylon to restore them back. Because it was during this 70 years that God wanted uh, a renewal and a rest- restoration of their hearts. Look at what he says to them. He says in verse 10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back To this place. How did he do that? See Babylon wasn't the group that brought them back. They took them out. But over the course of those 70 years. Cyrus king of Persia defeated the Babylonians. They're gone. And Cyrus as the scriptures say. And if you weren't grounded in the scriptures. You would wonder what in the world. But he goes. I've heard about these people. This Jewish people. And I heard that they worship God in a place called Jerusalem. I thought it would be good that we go and build them a temple back in Jerusalem. And so 
The first wave of three waves returns to the land within 70 years of them being exiled. Now, he kind of thought it was his idea, but it's been God's plan all along. Very specifically, very powerfully, God was going to work with the great kingdoms of this world to bring glory to his name and to fulfill his promise. He was going to restore the land. And so there it was. And that's why Jeremiah gives this word to the exiles in Babylon. Look at verse 11 again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and hope. Two things I just want to draw out because I think those are two things really in our wiring that resist the hope and the word and the plan of God for our lives. And that is when God says, look, I have a plan for you and it's for welfare. It's shalom for your life. Peace at rest with God, with others and with you. We go, "Uh uh-uh. There is no way that your plan could reach peace in my life. And I talk to people all the time who are going, I, I just can't follow God. Ultimately, he wants me to be happy. <laughs> no, you want to be happy. God wants you to be faithful like Jeremiah. And so we're called into obedience with God. And he calls us into a long-term relationship as he called Israel back into a long-term relationship with him. The problem is we want our plan. We don't want God's plan. We much rather would have short-term pleasure rather than long-term obedience. But God says, no, no, it's for your welfare. It's not for evil. And secondly, God's plan is always for a hope and a future. Now think about this with me. There are some people who were hauled away as exiles to Babylon who the false hope of just a few years would have sounded better than 70 years to them. And there were some of those people who were hauled away in exile who never returned to Jerusalem because they died within those 70 years. But it was God's plan. Sometimes God's plan doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes in your lifetime, you won't see the, the total fulfillment of God's plan. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Because what God is doing is he's writing a really, really big story that's much more grander and much more beautiful and wonderful than any pipe dream or American dream you can pursue. And to be included into his eternal story is going to be something that for eternity is going to far outweigh anything you experience here on earth. Are you willing to trust him in this in-between time? We've got to be willing to do that with the true hope we have in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we trust that God's plan for us is for welfare and for a hope and a future? Well, number one, we invite him in to every, every one of our situations. We, we seek his presence in every environment. It would have been so easy that when the exiles left Jerusalem for they, them to say, God stayed back in Jerusalem. And you know what? We all have that area that maybe we have been forced out of or exiled from that we long to go back to. And God says, no, I'm right there with you. Seek me right here, right now in the exile, right where I have you. Seek me right now. So many times we pray, God, be with me today. He's with you. He's with you. 
God's not out in Africa going, oh, I was reading the paper. I was really focused over here. Sorry about America. There I go. Now, what, what did you want to ask me for? God, be with me. No, he, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's one of the most repeated phrases in all of scriptures. I'm with you. So seek his presence. It's not that God forgets. It's that we forget. Seek his presence. So many times when I'm in a place of no hope or I'm in a place where I don't understand what God's doing, I need to stop and pray. God, I don't see you in this place, but I know you're here. I seek you. The second thing is that we pray for his plan. God says as we pray for our city, as we pray, call out to me, seek, with, seek me with all your heart and what? Ah, you, I will find you. You will be found. You will be found. That's why it's important when we go through a place of, of little or no hope that we're always saying, God, you are working out a plan. I trust that plan. I may not know fully that plan as neither did the exiles, but I'm willing to trust you. It's good to be open, to be honest with God and to pray for his plan. And finally, look forward to his place. See, just like the exiles, and by the way, every identity with the world that you and I have been given by the New Testament since the time of Christ is this. You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. Where's our citizenship? Is it here? No, it's in heaven. See, our citizenship is in heaven. We're exiled right now here on this earth. So we look forward to a time when Christ returns. Church, look forward to that. That is the great expectation. And from that which we get our hope. It's the anchor of the promise of God. That's an anchor for the soul. It's hope. And so we're called to look forward to heaven as we live on earth. And we look forward to God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we accept the invitation like Jeremiah. It may not look pretty. It's certainly not going to be easy. But we believe in a God of hope. And we accept the invitation to be agents of hope in this world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your hope for us through Jesus Christ. May we, like Jeremiah, in places of no hope, be people who renew. In places of false hope, may we return to you. And because you have given us true hope, help us to be restoration in your power, with your spirit, for your glory. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.